Well, good morning to you, Cornwall Church, here in Bellingham, uh, in Boca, watching online, and in Skagit as well. My name is Brian Mengel, and I'm one of the pastors here at Cornwall Church, specifically the campus pastor in Skagit. And Skagit about to hit some big milestones. Uh, next month, we'll celebrate five months being open in our building, and in September, we'll, we'll celebrate five years being open in the Skagit Valley. And so we're real excited about what God continues to do uh, through Cornwall Church in Skagit. I love the opportunities uh, to be able to come up and share with you as well. As today we continue in our summer series of looking at the book of Romans, and I've been tasked with going through three chapters. And much like every other chapter, or chapter in Romans, uh, they're jam-packed. And so before I even begin, I would encourage you today because the week will get away from you, today to read through these three chapters in their entirety. Not just for the knowledge they'll offer, but as we end, as we near the end of Paul's letter, it'll give you a totality of his passion for Christ's followers to not just hear what he said, but to put it into practice, to do what he's encouraged. Last week, Pastor Bob tackled chapter 12. Well, actually, he tackled the first part of chapter 12, Actually, he tackled two verses of chapter 12 and made that 45 minutes. How does he do that? Paul encouraging us in those two verses to not give in to the demands of this world, but instead to choose to be transformed by the Spirit. And today we pick up with what that transformation can look like. Chapters 12, 13, and 14 take a hard right for the practical. And I love that because I am a practical person. In fact, on vacation, it's a trait my kids aren't really in love with because when it comes to souvenir shopping, I am the practical guy. I'm the worst. I'll admit it. I'll look at Alyssa and say, what will you do with that miniature Statue of Liberty? Or to Dylan, what will you do with that Golden Gate Bridge snow globe? So if that's you, then you're with me, and this is going to be great. If it's not, grab your snow globe and let's go. First, let me tell you what we're not going to talk about, because Romans 12, 13, and 14 so much, let me fly over 13 and 14 with some big ideas. Number one, Paul says, pay what you owe. He says this, give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. Pay what you owe. Two is, he doesn't use the word vote, but he's saying vote He's saying, be part of the solution. Don't just complain from the sidelines. He will say this, submit to your governing authorities. It reads this, let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. So whether those in power are in your party or likely never been to a party, they are in charge. And it's important that we respect them. Here's why. Paul says, whomever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. He also talks about timing, saying that time is of the essence. Every day that goes by, we are closer to the return of Jesus, just as we sang in the song, Fullness. This is what he says. This is all the more urgent for you to know how late it is. Time is running out. Wake up, for our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is almost gone. The day of salvation will soon be here. In Romans 14, 
A big idea you can take away is be slow to criticize. Remember the saying as a kid, sticks and stones can break my bones, but words can never... What a horrific lie, right? What a lie. Words hurt, in fact, oftentimes more than something physical. Our words can be malicious. They can be condemning or simply mean. And because we're so loose with our words, oftentimes they get us in trouble. James 3 will speak to that. Lund University did a study, and they found more often than not, your brain can't keep up with the words that come out of your mouth. And so as a result, we have mastered the art of blurting out or speaking off the cuff or commenting uncensored. Proverbs 18.21 says, the tongue has the power of life and death. I read a quote this week online that said, words are free. It's how you use them that will cost you. So Paul gives some real examples in 14, showing how we can get hung up or die on hills that aren't worth dying on. He says, one person's faith allows them to eat anything, another only vegetables. Now, some context here. He's not talking about modern-day vegetarians. He's speaking to Christians who had a challenge or thought it was spiritually wrong to eat meat purchased at the marketplace that could have been used for sacrifice. So Paul's saying, I don't want this to be a stumbling block. He says, don't tear apart the work of God over what you eat. It's not about vegetarians versus meatitarians, because obviously the meatitarians would win. No, wait. <laughs> he also goes on and says, one person considers a day more sacred than the other, or accepting believers in their different levels of their maturity. He says, why do you condemn another believer? Remember, we'll all stand before God in judgment. Stop condemning one another. He closes with this. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of what we eat or what we drink, but of living a life of goodness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. If you serve Christ with this attitude, you will please God and others will approve of you too. Okay, that's not what we're talking about today. Here's what we are talking about. At the end of 14, Paul ends by saying, let us aim for harmony in the church and try to build each other up. And he has some ideas for that in chapter 12. So if you have your app or your Bible, if you'll flip to chapter 12, we're going to pick up right where Pastor Bob left off. He says this, for by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. Is Paul saying, get off your high horse? Yes, kinda. He's warning us about pride and self-centeredness because even the most humble among us can have a flare-up of arrogance. Our human nature gets in our way sometimes. We get a big raise. We can finally afford that dream house. We get to drive a new car off the lot. And while we don't mean or intend to, with that upgrade, sometimes our attitude upgrades as well. It's 100% a choice. In a recent interview, Kate Middleton, who married into the British royalty, shared that she makes it a point to do her own grocery shopping and cooking every week. When asked why, she said, my position hasn't changed who I am before I married William. 
Warren Buffett, widely considered one of the most successful investors of our time, has a worth of about $67 billion, still lives the kind of life he did before becoming a billionaire. He lives in the same home in Omaha that he purchased in 1958, giving away 99% of his annual wealth. And that's with sober judgment. Paul's saying, evaluate yourself honestly. Don't just look for the good. That's too easy. Look at everything. You wouldn't go to the doctor, or maybe you would, but you wouldn't go to the doctor and at your checkup say, just tell me the good stuff. Paul's encouragement is this. Seek to see yourself with an authentic evaluation. Seek to see you with an authentic evaluation. Because the danger of not doing so, you may overestimate yourself or underestimate others. And he's talking to all of us. He says, to every one of you. And he's reminding us of something from previous chapters. You are who you are because God is who he is. You are where you are in life, in family, in the position in your company. You have what you have because God is who he is. And that's a mindset accepting who you are, where you are in Christ, and believing that's enough. Torin Wells is a Christian artist, and he has a new song called Hills and Valleys. You might have heard it on Christian radio, but one of the lines of the chorus says, whether I'm standing on the mountain, knowing I didn't get there on my own. And the background of the story of the song is realizing that we're going to have great moments of success, great highs but being mindful of who we are and who placed us there. So whether on a mountaintop or deep in the valley, don't forget who you are by measuring yourself by the faith that God has given you. And Paul later in the chapter will circle back on this. In verse 10, he'll say this, honor one another above yourselves and later do not be proud but be willing to associate with people of low position. Don't be conceited. You're not the money you make. You're not the vacations you take. And you're not where you sit on the airplane. You're a child of God. You'll remember in Romans 8, I was here with you. We were talking about an adoption by God and what that means. And when we really believe our adoption of God by God, it can keep us humble. And when we do, when we have a great success in life and we're still humble about it, it causes a watching world to wonder why. So Paul's speaking to us individually how we should act, and then he speaks to how we ought to function in the body of Christ. He goes on in verse 4, for just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body. And each member belongs to all the others. Remember that song growing up, Dem Bones? You know, the knee bones connected to the... Hang on, I got to look. I actually Googled, I Googled this song because in my office in Skagit, I was running through the song in my head thinking I could sing it for you live. And I had like the neck connected to the leg and it was bad. So anyway, the knee to the thigh and the thigh to the hip and the hip to the back, all interconnected. The songwriter James Johnson illustrating how all 206 bones in the human body serve different purposes individually. But every bone is interconnected and ultimately serves as one. 
Just as the body functions under the direction of the brain, so as we, as Christ followers, ought to function under the direction of Jesus Christ. We're connected through Him or in Him. He's our unifier. He's the glue. He's the connection point to all the members of the body. He goes on in verse 6. In His grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. Check this out. So if God has given you the ability for prophecy, then speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you're a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. He goes on. If it is giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift for showing kindness, do it for others gladly. So a couple of things here. Number one, it's God himself that has gifted us uniquely. It's God that has gifted us uniquely. And notice it's about gifting, not talent. They're very close, but gifting is from God. Talent is something bettered over time or in an environment or by practicing. So it's God that's gifted us uniquely. Knowing you as he does, he specifically intentionally chose the gifting in you. Number two is our gifts are not for ourselves. God has gifted us for the purpose of meeting the needs of others in the body. 1 Peter 4.10 says, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. God is saying to those that I have gifted with a servant heart, get out and serve. And to those I've gifted with the ability to communicate, get out and teach. And to those that I've gifted with the ability to, to have generosity, be a blessing to others. And number three, he says this about gifts. We've been called to use our gifts differently. Differently. We'll not all use our gifts in the same capacity. We have a senior saint in Skagit. Her name is Joanne Wright. And as we were preparing for one of our go and be serves, getting our building ready for grand opening, Joanne came to me and had the list of different projects for that Saturday and said, Pastor Brian, I, I really can't lift a lot. I, I really can't be painting walls. You know, I look at this list and here's what I can do. It's not even on the list. I can be near the coffee table and I would love to encourage those volunteers that come up and grab coffee or water. That's someone who knows her gifting and wanted to use it for the body. God has called us to fulfill His work in different ways with different people. If I can for a moment to pull back the curtain on your pastoral team, I have to say that, that your pastoral team executes this better than any team I have been part of previously. Pastor Bob's function is different than Pastor Scott's, who is different than Pastor Bill's. Pastor Kip's oversight of the weekend service is different than Pastor Mike's oversight of Explorers League or Pastor Mike, the other Pastor Mike, on Go and Be. Each of our nine pastors serves individually. But on Tuesday mornings from 9 to 11 a.m., those nine individuals come together and serve as one. Using Paul's words, we belong to all the others. Now, you might think this is an encouragement for the church, and it is. If you call Cornwall home, I'd ask, what's your contribution? 
Are you using the gifts that God has given you, or are you waiting on the sidelines, harboring your gifts, waiting, waiting? I think of a, another volunteer in Skagit who attended Bellingham for years and years as she lived here. And when she and her family moved down to Skagit County, she dropped me an email, said, my name is Jennifer Starkenberg. I have served in Explorers League in Bellingham. We're moving to Skagit. Just wanted to let you know, I love kids. I'm gifted with kids and teaching. I'll be serving downstairs. That's someone who knows their passion and wanting to serve and being a functioning member of the bigger body. Now, maybe you're sitting here or watching online and saying, I don't know what my spiritual gift is. You aren't alone, and there isn't a magic formula, but there are some discernment things you can do. Number one is ask God. Pray about it. Two, ask those in your life that know you well, that can be wise counsel in saying, I see this in you. Number three, notice the things that energize you or that come naturally to you. Then I would ask, what if everyone did something? What would that church look like? Everyone serving in their wheelhouse, using their talents and passions so that it wasn't exhausting, but instead it was fulfilling. You might remember the movie Chariots of Fire. There's a pivotal scene in the movie where the main character explains why he's postponing his return to the mission field in order to race in the Olympics. And he says this, he says, God made me fast. And when I run, I feel the pleasure of God. Sometimes I think there's a misconception about church and serving. Oh, the church just needs more volunteers, more labor. And I would offer serving might be at the church, but it is not about the church. It's about you and God and others. The church is merely a vessel for you, for you to serve, to honor God by utilizing your gifts. So let's speak about those gifts and opportunities. Abby mentioned that we weren't collecting the Connect cards at our normal time. That's because I wanted to share with you about the Connect card. So typically on a Sunday, you fill this out and you turn it in. I don't know if you noticed, but there's a whole row of boxes on the right-hand side. Maybe you've checked one in the past, but if not, let me introduce you to the opportunities here to serve at Cornwall Church, both here and in Skagit. If you love kids, Explorers League's for you. If you love middle school and students, that's Edger Encounter. If you want to be part of our hospitality team, whether you're in the parking lot or at the coffee or maybe just at the front doors, that's going to be guest services. Go and be is our missional opportunities, small groups, tech, worship. If you want to run the lights or turn Pastor Bob's mic off if he goes too long, that's here. There's a place for you to serve. I would also challenge you here with other. Pastor Brian, I think God has gifted me in this capacity. It doesn't fit any of these boxes, but I'm going to mark it here. I dare you to find a place for me to serve, and I take on that challenge. We will find a place for you to serve, and if you check a box today, we will get in touch with you in the next week by phone or by email. You will hear from us. It's not a commitment. It's an I'm interested. It's a I believe the Spirit's nudging me to check one of these boxes. Would you consider that on what it might look like for you? And then however, whatever, whenever you serve, do this. Serve enthusiastically. I asked Anna Johnson, who's the guest services director here in Bellingham, I said, off the top of your head, give me 
someone, a team member that serves enthusiastically. She said without hesitation, Stacy and Dave Denson. They serve on our hospitality team and they're always eager. Stacy always has a smile on her face and is all but dancing. Actually, sometimes she is dancing when she serves our coffee. And then I love this. Their joy in serving is contagious. Serve enthusiastically. And like before, Paul will address this idea later in the chapter. He says this, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. And then to a different audience, he'll say, whatever you do, work heartily. Your version might even say, work enthusiastically as for the Lord, not for men. So first, Paul reminding us to keep in mind who we are, never to be too pretentious or get full of ourselves. Then he talks about being active, using your gifts that he's given you to serve with an enthusiastic heart. And then Paul uses words that thousands of years ago become very, very relevant today. He first addresses love. He says this in verse 9, love must be sincere. And in verse 10, be devoted to one another in love. Now, Paul is not dancing around the issue. He's saying, if you're a Christ follower, here's how you'll act. This is what you'll do when the rubber hits the road as you work out your faith. You'll love people. But more than that, you will love people sincerely. Love people sincerely. Now, notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say you'll tolerate people or you'll like people or you'll love certain people or you'll love people of your choosing. It's just carte blanche. It says, love people. And when you love people, love them sincerely. The ESV version will say, let your love be genuine. The NLT will say, don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Love people sincerely. But wait, there's more. Paul says, be devoted to that love. So in the times when you don't want to, or with the people that are particularly challenging, or for the people you disagree with, or when it'd be easier not to, we are called to have a 100% devotion of sincere love to them. Paul will circle back to this idea in chapter 13. He says, owe nothing to anyone except for your obligation to love one another. If you love your neighbor, you'll fulfill the requirements of God's law. Love does no wrong to others, so love fulfills the requirements of God's law. And Paul is in line with what Jesus had to say about this in John. This is my commandment, that you love one another just as I, Jesus, have loved you. Now, maybe that seems overwhelming. That's a really, really big idea. Don't let it be overwhelming. Sometimes it just takes practice. So the challenge, practice uncommon love. Practice uncommon love. I love that phrase, it's not my own. It came from Lifeway. They did a study and they found this. Unconditional love is uncommon. Uncommon doesn't mean impossible. It just means uncommon. But God's plan has been uncommon from the beginning, so this is not exactly new. When we break ranks with our culture and embrace an uncommon approach to love, we invite the opportunities into our everyday lives where we can extend unconditional love to others. That's love. That's loving people, loving people sincerely, and then being devoted to that unsincere love, sincere love. But then he turns. 
chapter 12, he spends some time on a different subject. Check this out in 9. He says, hate what is evil, cling to what is good. And just pause right there. There are words in the Bible for me, likely you as well. When you hear the word, it causes you to pause. For me, hate is one. I want to know if I'm seeing the word hate, what is it I'm hating? What is it I'm not hating? In this case, he says, hate what is evil. Cling or hold on to what is good. Later, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. He goes on in 17. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Whoa, right? I mean, there's a lot there. I think our natural response is surrender little for the sake of peace. In other words, I'll just avoid that person, or I just won't comment on that Facebook post. But instead, we're called to do the opposite, to overlook offenses and love people and love our enemies more. Who falls into that category? Those that persecute you, those that deserve revenge, those that are outright evil. Paul summarizing here the lifestyle of someone themselves that has experienced the forgiveness and grace of Jesus and wants to pass that on to someone else. Grace is undeserved favor. And just as he did about love, Paul simply following up on what Jesus had to say. Jesus said, but I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. In other words, it's not enough just to love your enemies. We're called to do good to and for them, to be hospitable for them. I mean, can you imagine what that might look like? Maybe you're out somewhere and someone is just berating you. They're tearing you apart. They're tearing you down with their words. And when they're all done, you say, whew, you must be thirsty. Can I get you an iced tea after all that? <laughs> I mean, probably an overstatement. But the principle is accurate, that buying your enemy an iced tea is not excusing their actions, but it's recognizing them, it's forgiving them, it's loving them in spite of their actions, just like Jesus did for you. To love our enemies means doing what's ultimately best for them. Marcus Aurelius, the emperor of Rome for nearly two decades, apparently considered one of the good emperors, said this, the best revenge is to be unlike him who performed the injury. And why is this important? Why is it crucial? Because forgiveness breaks the cycle of retaliation with a hope of reconciliation. Forgiveness breaks the cycle of an ongoing retaliation with a hope for reconciliation. Challenging? Likely. Doable? You bet. It's a matter of the mind changing it in your mind, then it moving to your heart and eventually spilling over into your lifestyle. And all of that for what? So that we can live out verse 21. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Read it again. Do not be overcome by evil. Instead, what? Be overcome evil with good. In other words, 
to be honest, to make this happen, it's a call for us to be counterculture. We have to be counterculture on this. We have to decide to do differently. On a recent vacation this summer, we were in Oregon and we were souvenir shopping. And as we were souvenir shopping, and I had a great attitude about it, my wife Shauna found a plaque on a wall and it said this, live in such a way that if someone spoke badly about you, no one would believe it. Our society champions the get even mentality. The idea that revenge is our right when we've been wronged. But if we're supposed to imitate Christ, I would offer, does that even sound like him? Does that sound like what he is all about? I don't think so. And in Matthew 5, we find Jesus on a mountainside addressing this very issue. He said, you've heard it said, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them for the other cheek also. Jesus not just rejecting revenge and retaliation, but instead telling his followers, turn the other cheek. And every single day, today included, you have a chance to live this out or not. Our Facebook news feeds, the evening news cycle, constantly reminding us over and over about the hate, the intolerance, and the revenge that exists in our world. But there's good news. As Pastor Bob reminded us last week, we don't pattern ourselves after the world. We don't live by the world's rules. We live by God's commands. So what if? What if it began with you? Or you in Skagit? Or you in Boca? Or watching online? What if it started with you making a personal commitment, and it overflowed to your spouse or your family, and then to your small group, then through the church, in your community, in your office? What then? What if it began with you? It takes one person to begin that flow. There was one person named Daryl Davis. This is Daryl Davis here on this side. Last December, a documentary came out called Accidental Curiosity. It followed Daryl Davis there on the left. Daryl Davis, if you're a musician's fan, you might know he worked alongside Chuck Berry and Little Richard. He was an accomplished, is an accomplished keyboardist. He had a mission, a goal. He said, it's going to begin with me. He decided to befriend people in hate groups like the KKK. And throughout the documentary, he would sit across the table or on the porch of these openly uh, hateful people that would share their very divisive beliefs. It was uncomfortable to watch. But after two decades of casual, non-confrontational conversations, one by one, Daryl would collect a garage full of ceremonial robes given to him by now friends who no longer had those beliefs. He shared that his goal was to radically change hearts, but better yet, his tactic was a commitment to love people sincerely and relentlessly. Loving people sincerely and relentlessly. I believe that this side of heaven, there can be a change in our cultural paradigm. And I believe that he's, Jesus has called us to it, especially here at Cornwall Church. But it has to be more than a bumper sticker or a catchy hashtag. It starts with a question. 
The question is this, are you ready for devoted action? Are you ready for devoted action? Devoted action is, is important because not just action, but devotion. I'm committing to this. It's a devotion to forgive, whatever the offense. A devotion to see people as valuable. A devotion to serve in your church. A devotion to love even the unlovable. And even when it's uncomfortable. That is the challenge, ready or not. And here's the result. Bring up these last two verses. In verse 16, the result is this. Live in harmony with one another and let us aim for harmony in the church and try to build each other up. Paul will later say to the Thessalonians, encourage one another and build each other up. And then he's very presumptive. He says, just as in fact you are doing. That's our challenge, church, to serve well, to see our gifts, to impact others, be part of the body of Christ, to love relentlessly. Skadget, I'm going to turn you over to Pastor Kip, and I'll look forward to seeing you next week. And here in Bellingham, the Connect card. Maybe sometime in the last 30 minutes, you've really felt that nudge. You've wanted to check a box in the past, you haven't. You know that one of these areas, you would flourish. The church would do better because you would be in that ministry serving well. If you would check a box, again, we'll, you'll hear from us within the week. It's not a commitment, it's an I'm interested. We're also gonna collect our offerings in a moment, and if this is your first time, please don't put anything in. We're just glad you're here. For everyone else, thanks so much for your constant giving to Cornwall Church and helping us be able to do things outside the walls of this building. So the ushers come forward, and then I'll close the service.